0: Yeah, let's give it up for moms. Happy Mother's Day! Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. So glad that you're here and that uh, you're momming it up. You're doing awesome. You know, I've I obviously have a mother, so I've always had an appreciation for moms, and just I've learned so much from her and wouldn't be the person I am without her. But I've almost like on a new level of appreciation for what it means to be a mom and for mothers because I'm now married to a mom. And my, my wife and I just celebrated our daughter's one year birthday. And it's just crazy, the work and the energy and the love and everything you guys pour out. So you are tied for best moms, okay? My wife, my mother. Jen, you're just a little bit ahead of her though. Don't tell her. All right, I want to read you guys a verse from Second Timothy about um, moms. This is second Timothy one five I'm reminded of your sincere faith. This is Paul speaking to his spiritual son, Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Isn't that profound? That Paul is pointing to Timothy's spiritual heritage, a spiritual lineage, coming from his mothers. And that so much of what he learns, what he knows, and uh, the deposit that God has put in him, has come from his, the, the maternal line in his family. You know, I was thinking about moms and how much they reveal God's character and nature. And I think so quickly we'll say that moms reveal how God is a comforter. And that's very true. That's so true. But there's two things that I have really learned, um, particularly from my mom and my wife about being moms. And from my mom, I have learned so much about boldness and how to be bold and to be confident and to step out in faith. And from my wife, who is a mother, I've learned so much about forgiveness and how to forgive quickly and readily and to love people enough to uh, care about them more than yourself. So let's just... Give it up for moms again really quick, okay? And I want to say this and just recognize mom-like figures in the room, whether you're a spiritual mother, whether you're a key aunt in your niece's and nephew's life, whether you're just a close friend of a family or, a, or an adopted mother and you have just poured into um, children's lives and people's lives, today is for you also. So we honor you and we love you. And in fact, for all the moms here, we have a gift for you as you leave this really cool bookmark. Um, just grab it on your way out. So. Welcome, my name is Wilson, I'm one of the pastors on staff here, oversee a couple of different things, but I just want to say, if this is your first time, we're so glad that you're here with us, and we actually have a little gift for you. If you stop by in the atrium where you grabbed your coffee, there's a booth that says Connect, it's where we can kind of say hi to you, get to know you better, and give you a little gift. Um, as you came in, I hope that you were able to grab a program, and if you didn't, don't worry, you can just download the app, um, our Vineyard Northwest mobile app, and And uh, the program's on there, a lot of different things you can do on there, it's really handy. But I'm just going to highlight a couple things, a couple events that are coming up before uh, Van, my dad, comes up and gives a message. So, first and foremost, and and the reason I highlight the program is because everything I'm about to talk about and more is in here as well. So first, this week, we're kicking off Culture of Heaven Conference. It's going to be amazing. Yeah, it starts Thursday night. Uh, it's really our privilege and honor to host this. If you see the guy all the way on the left, Georgian Banoff, this is actually his conference. His organization is hosting a global celebration. We just got the privilege to um, have it in our facility. So it's their thing, and uh, we're just, exci- I mean, it's our thing too, but we're, we're really excited to host it, and I got to tell you what, we fully expect it to sell out fully expected to sell out. If you don't register, you won't be able to get in the doors for any of the sessions. Um, I know in the past when we have conferences, we kind of just let everybody in all the time, but this we're playing by their rules. So you need to register. Um, I think the discount code expires soon. So if you want to use that, um, I, I would say register today if you're thinking about it. Otherwise it might fill up. Uh, two other things coming up. I just want to say really quick. First is time out for moms. This is June 9th. This is a great uh, time for mothers to come and get refreshed and a rest. And then secondly, on June 10th, we're having a memorial service for a man named Larry Crouch. Larry was on staff here at this church, um, spiritual father of this church, really significant man. And we're just going to take some time to honor his memory that day. So, amen. There you go. So, we're so glad that you're here. I'm just going to pray really quick, and then Van is going to come and give the message, right? So, Father, thank you so much for moms. Thank you that so much of your heart, Father God, is revealed in moms and is contained in them. I just speak a blessing of life and peace and health over these moms, and I pray that you would give us um, some of their wisdom, and you'd release some of the motherly wisdom that's in the room to everyone else. In Jesus' name, amen.
1: Thanks, Will. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you all here. Uh, Wilson alluded to this, but when we were in the back uh, praying before the service started with the worship team, uh, someone mentioned that so much of the character of God is revealed uh, through womanhood, and particularly through mothering, and, and not that the same traits and characteristics are not supposed to be in fathers and men also, but uh, things just like the loving care, the focus... One of the things I'm amazed about for my wife is her ability to sit down with a one-year-old or a two-year-old or a four-year-old and focus on what they want to focus on for a full hour and just be right there with them. It's just amazing to me. I mean, I, I, I really have to force myself to do that. And, and I do, but uh, not, not like she does. Uh, and, I, and I think that's one of the reasons why if I'm holding Haya our, our granddaughter, Wilson's daughter, and Lori walks into the room. Hey, I will literally jump out of my arms to get to Lori. And, and one time as she was reaching, she'll, she'll just go, go like this. And one time as she was doing that, she put her hand on my face and pushed off as she's going for Lori. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm really blessed to have the mother I have, uh, grew up with in Pennsylvania, and to, to have a wife who's a wonderful mother. Uh, we had the blessing of having our sixth grandchild born last week. Lori and I were in Chicago. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Gonna have a picture right there. It is. That is obviously Lori, grandma, and then Emily, our daughter, 34 years old. This is her first baby, a little girl, beautiful little baby girl. Uh, she was somewhat said, How big was she? She looks kind of like like she's a big girl there. She was eight pounds, eight ounces, and 21 inches long. And um, yeah, it's just, uh, just so delightful for us to see Emily with a little baby girl, Emily and her husband, uh, Everest. There's a wonderful couple and uh, real, real precious. So, man, blessings continue on. They do. And children are a blessing from the Lord. Now, just thinking of this whole mothering thing and the whole patience thing made me, made me remember something. Um, we have four children. Our oldest are, right now, they're 38, 36, and 34, so we had a bunch of them, and then eight years later, Wilson, and Wilson was planned and a gift from God, not a surprise, so don't think that at all. <laughs> Uh, we were just at an age where we were thinking, okay, it's now or never, because we were 40 years old, and it was now, so <laughs> it was great. But um, So I, I'm one day when Wilson's like nine, 10 years old, I was thinking to myself, I am such a better father now. I am so much, I'm so more, I'm more patient, I'm more kind, I can tolerate, you know, I don't snap at, snap at Wilson like I used to at the other kids. And then it was literally like the next day or the day after that, that I had Luke and Wilson and Luke's little brother, Joey, in the car together. And I think Luke was probably 11, Will was 10, and Joey was probably eight. And we're driving along, and I can't get them to be still. They won't shut up. I wanted to stop the car and throw them all out. I wanted to strangle them. And I realized I am no more patient than I was It's just so much easier to have one kid in the car than to have three. So to all of you mothers out there that, uh, I mean, having one's enough, believe me, but all you, to all you mothers that have multiple kids kind of crammed together in the same age group, blessings on you. I just pray blessings and peace and you will get through this. You will make it. The day will come. All right, so uh, Wilson made reference to Timothy's uh, faith being, being taught to him by his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Later in the book of 1 Timothy, when Paul is referring to the word of God in the scriptures and, and telling Timothy, you really got really to focus on scripture, um, he says, you know, these scriptures are what you learned from childhood, and so what he's saying there is, he doesn't mention Lois and uh, Eunice, but he's saying, your grandmother and your mother, from the time you were just a little guy, they were teaching you scriptures. They were teaching you the Bible, and you were learning scripture, and it was filling your heart and filling your life and, and building into you. And, and now Timothy is a full-grown man, probably in his 30s, maybe at the most 40, but somewhere in that age range. And... He's pastoring, he's, he's leading a church that Paul sent him to lead in Ephesus, and he is really, he's Paul's chief protege, he's Paul's protege, he's his chief disciple, and, and, and top of the line as far as what Paul is, is doing in the lives of younger people, and yet, Timothy himself wasn't perfect. Even though he had, been to, he had been discipled by the Apostle Paul, and Paul was confident in him to send him across the Mediterranean to go into a tough city and straighten the church out there, lead that church, uh, Timothy had a problem with fear and anxiety. And we know that because in one place Paul tells him, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. And so Timothy had some, some stomach issues probably, or at least possibly related to anxiety, and in 1 Timothy, he, or in 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, uh, Paul tells him, Timothy, God didn't give us a spirit of timidity. He gave us a spirit of power and love, and he gave us a sound mind. And so the, the whole idea there of timidity is uh, when it's time to step up, you step back, Okay, When you hit that moment where it it takes a little bit of boldness and and, and you're on and you need to step into something, timidity is at that moment, you don't just hang there, you really kind of like shy away from that. And so Timothy struggled with that. He struggled with some fear and some anxiety over how people were going to deal with him, which makes this exhortation in this book to him all the more significant because in particularly in the passage we're going to read today we see that there were some incredibly strong-willed people that were opposing Timothy's leadership and leadership is hard okay anywhere it's hard leadership in the church is hard it's a difficult thing um, and, and, and Timothy really needs strength to press into this I know for myself. My first leadership experience um, happened in my hometown in the church that I grew up attending. Um, My family didn't go to church every Sunday, but I went to Sunday school every week, and my dad would get up and drive me to Sunday school. Little Baptist church, about 50 people or so. And, uh, And yet, I didn't come to know Jesus, although I learned about the Bible, I learned about Jesus. I learned the gospel there, growing up. But I didn't actually accept Christ until shortly before my 21st birthday. And when I actually personally came into relationship with Jesus, my life changed. I went back to that little church, and, uh, and I was accepted with, with open arms. Now, it wasn't long until they asked me to teach the, teen aid, the teen's Bible study, the teen's Sunday school class, so I started doing that. And then it wasn't long after that, they asked me to be the Sunday school superintendent, so I started doing that. And then uh, a little while after that, they asked me to be a deacon. And so I said, okay, I'll be a deacon. So I became a deacon. Then they asked me to be a trustee too. So I said, okay. So I became a trustee. Then they asked me to be the chairman of the board. So here I am, I'm like 22 maybe by this time. And I'll be the chairman of the board. And then the other two deacons and trustees all resigned. (laughs) Now, not because of me. They weren't mad at me. They were just smarter than me. They knew what they, they could see, they knew what was coming, they knew the difficulty of of being in leadership. But I was left alone as like the only officer in the church, and so I led the church, and I, I, I led, led the church to hire a young guy as pastor, and uh, he was a sharp, a wonderful man, that lucky to have this guy there, great preacher. But... Um, you know, as much as I owed to these people as far as them pouring into my life in my childhood and then when, when I came to Christ and, and came back to the church, how they blessed me, uh, th- there was an element there of people that complained a little too much and that they thought it was their job to point out the faults and the failures of others and the pastor especially. Things like this would happen. If someone was mad at the pastor, they wouldn't come to church, but they would come to Sunday school. But they wouldn't use the front door. They would come in a side door and then leave on the side door. So nobody knew they were there except the, you know, the few people in our Sunday school class, stuff like that. And anybody who's been involved in the church for very long knows the kind of stuff I'm talking about. But um, a lot of criticism, this young guy ends up leaving, resigning, and he's gone. And um, it, it um, wasn't long until after that, the area superintendent came to me and he was visiting the church one night and he came to me and he said, he said, we know you're young, but everybody here loves you. And um, I want to know, would you be willing to become the pastor of this church? Now, it took me zero, 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 seconds to say, no, thank you. <laughs> I, I knew I wasn't up to that. I wasn't ready for that. Now, there are only two other times in my life where I've answered no that, that quickly. One of them was when a friend of mine in college asked me to help him blow up a building to protest the war in Vietnam. (laughs) No, thank you. Don't don't count on me. I'm not in on that, okay? And the other one was when, uh, and he didn't do anything about it. His preface to that was, I don't trust anybody but you. If you do it, we'll do it. If you say no, then I'll drop the idea. So he never did anything with it. But then I had another friend that was a drug dealer, and he wanted me to go into business with him, and he sat down and talked to me and made this proposition, and I just flat out, no, instant no. So this was on the kind of like that category of no in my heart when I said no to pastor this church, because I had a pretty good idea of how hard that would be, and um, and yet here's Timothy uh, struggling in, in the situation he's in, facing... I mean, what I dealt with there were good good people, misguided people, good, but it's kind of misguided and took up responsibility for things that wasn't really their responsibility and, and, but but good hearted people that built into my life and blessed me here. Timothy's facing people that are teaching false doctrine and and they're going to destroy this church and they're going to destroy Timothy and and what they want is power. What they want is they want to be totally in charge of the whole thing, and if Timothy's a casualty of that, so be it. And so he's really facing a lot here, and we're going to read through the passage right now, 2 Timothy 2, verses 14 to 19, and then what we're going to do is look at it from this perspective. In fact, these are, this is the basic process of Bible study. You ask the question, what does it say, and then you have to understand the context and the language, you know, metaphors and stuff like that to ask what does it mean? And then the third thing is what does it mean to me? What does it say? What does it mean and what does it mean to me? That's Bible study. Um, on Tuesday morning when you read the Bible, that's what you ought to be doing. What does this say? All right, God, show me what does it mean? And, and then you get to, the, God, show me, what does it mean to my life? Speak to me through this. So we're going to use that as kind of a format. And then I'm going to add a fourth a fourth question, and that is, how, did, how, how, can, how can this flow through my life so that it blesses others? What does this mean in my ministry to others? And that's going to be a big part of the question that we look at as we move through this. All right. So we're going to read this. I'm going to ask you to join me on the very last verse. I'll tell you when we get there, okay? All right, so here we go. He says, Remind them of these things. And what things? Well, the gospel, Jesus, who he is. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words, which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent, Timothy, you, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. As a workman who does not need to be ashamed, these false teachers are going to be ashamed when they're in the presence of God, because they're they're disrupting and bringing falsehood. Does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. That's a real key phrase. And then he goes on to say this, but avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. You know, gangrene is a deadly thing. It spreads and it's deadly. And it says, Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Now this last verse is going to come up now on the screen. I want you all to read this with me, because what Paul wants to do now is end this with some reassurance, because this stuff, this is all pretty bad news so far. Now, here's the reassuring part. He says this. Read it with me. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands having this seal. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. All right, so he's talking about some people being misled, being led astray, others who have gone off kind of intentionally, and that can cause some 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 concern. That can cause some anxiety in people's hearts to say, "Well, then, what do we? You know, who who do we know to trust, and what's happening, and what do we rest on?" And he says, "Here, here's where we rest. God knows. God knows. He knows those who are His. He knows those who are His." Uh, my, my second-born son, Brent, one time, when he was about four years old, Brent was a deep thinker, and he asked me some, a question I didn't know the answer to, and I said, um, who knows? And he said, God knows. And I said, well, I know that. And he said, well, then, why did you say who knows? <laughs> Leave it to a four-year-old to uh, reveal your, your heart. But um, God knows, God knows. God knows those who are his. That, that's, that, that right there, that gives us strength and encouragement. And then that last phrase, let all who name the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. That fits in. I'll show you where later in the passage, why that's so significant that he says that here. But the first thing, uh, basically in verse 14, he just says, put a stop to this, Timothy. He says, put, put a stop to this, verse 14. It, it, this idea, remind them. Um, bring, you know, bring back to their recollection, remind them of these things, charge them. That means that's a strong word. Timothy, be direct about this. You charge them not to, not to do this any longer. But the point is, wrangle about words. Charge them not to wrangle about words. The word wrangle has the meaning of quarreling, fighting, just being kind of like a, a pugnacious spirit. Always ready for an argument, always ready for a fight, uh, kind of like a chip on the shoulder. I have to be right. That's that's what a quarrelsome person is—wrangling about words. Uh, have you ever have you ever thought that? Have you ever been insulted because someone questioned you, someone objected, or someone disagreed with you in front of other people? And you're thinking, "Hey, wait a second. I'm the great. You know, I, I know this. And how dare they? You know, how dare they look at me and question me like this?" That, that's that's kind of like a wrangling spirit. That's something in that our hearts that we need to look at because it, it, is, it, it is a contentious heart attitude that we have if that's how we feel. But the, the, the wrangler, the quarreler, is always ready for a fight. And th- the problem is, there's, it's not a discussion. It's not a mutually honoring discussion. It is a fight that you try to win. That's what wrangling with words is. The goal is, I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to win it. That's all that has to happen. I don't even care if I'm right. I'm going to win the argument. And, and a person will get to the point that they'll just start picking on the words the other person uses. And there's also an almost a superior attitude implied in this, at least I infer this, that it's kind of like, well, you don't know what you're talking about. If you knew that word, I know the depth of that word, you know, I understand the deep things of God, and you obviously don't. If you did, then then you know we could communicate. And, and so there's this superior superior attitude on the part of the person that has this argumentative wrangling, arguing especially over words, nitpicking through words, and and having um, no real honor for the other person. There's no need to listen, no desire to listen. You know better. I remember when I was a young pastor and, um, and, and I had this notion I should be a counselor, that as a pastor I should counsel everybody. And I thought, I'll be a great counselor because I know what all the problems are in people's lives and I can tell them what to do. And, um, but I want it, to be constantly people, which I wasn't made to be a counselor, okay? Uh, there are other people around that are, but I'd lose track of what they were saying, and there were times where I'd start daydreaming and then I'd look at them and I'd realize they just said something really important. And their tears and everything. And, and this just popped into my head. I said, um, like one of the first times this happened, I said, I can see that what you just said is really important. What I would like you to do is just go, I want to hear it again. I want to hear it again. Just go back to the beginning. I, I want to hear it again. And I thought, well, that's better than telling them I was bored and not paying attention. Um, it worked. But, you know, in retrospect, you know what the real problem was? Arrogance. It wasn't my attention span. It was I was not honoring that person. I thought in the first five minutes I knew what the problem was, and I'd have the answers. If they'd just stop talking, we could get this over with. I'll tell them what to do. They can walk out the door and start doing that and everything will be great. And so there was that arrogance on my part and then secondly just a kind of a dishonoring of the of the of the relational aspect of life and ministry. God created us to be relational. He created us to relate heart to heart with each other and and look on the rare occasion where I might or you might know everything the person's going to say, it's still, it's the relational thing of you sitting and hearing them say it, and listening, and interacting, and, and an open heart to that individual. That's what's significant and important. And, and so this, this wrangling thing, there's, there's no respect. There's no way to communicate one, one to another because it's just a dominating personality trying to win the argument. And so um, he says, tell them to stop that. You've got to stop this, Timothy. You've got to put a stop to it. Don't be afraid. Step up. You've got to confront them to, about this. Now, what I want to say is, I want to make sure you understand words are important. Okay? Words are important. In fact, Jesus at one place um, based his teaching on the tense of a verb. His whole teaching on the resurrection was based on the tense of a verb. He said, You know, you guys are erring because you don't understand the power because God said this, he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and and that he's not the God of the dead. Those guys are all dead, but he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. And so the tense of a verb there for Jesus was really a significant thing. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about paying attention to the words of Scripture. What we're talking about is an attitude that says, I'm going I'm to pick on the words you say. You know, well, you said this a minute ago. Now you said this. Which do you mean? Instead of really, okay, well, say that again. I really want to understand what you're saying. Rather than that, it's, it's a confronting type of a thing. And so um, what we want to do as we look at that is realize that it ruins people because if they do have faith, it's faith in an argument and not in, not in God. It's controlling. It's not trusting in God to work in other people's lives when we have a wrangling spirit like this. And really that gets into the application. And, and we need to ask ourselves, as I looked at this, And I was asking myself to apply to myself, what would I apply from this? Here's what I would do. I would ask myself the question, do I have a peaceful or a quarrelsome spirit? You know, what's my heart? What's my spirit? And in James, there's one place where James James 3.17, he talks about quarreling and fighting, and then he says, but the wisdom from above is first of all pure, then peaceable. And, and so it's peace, it's purity of heart, innocence of heart, and a peaceful spirit that honors and loves other people that we should be shooting for. But do, do I have the compulsion to be right? Do, do I argue just to be right, even though I might be wrong, and I know I'm wrong, but I, I want to win this argument? And you're not right either, so I might as well keep arguing it, because I want to come out on top. I, I know, uh, especially as a younger couple, for Lori and myself, there were times that I would forget what we were arguing about, it really, literally, not even know what we're arguing about, and it would, the argument would degrade into who started the argument. <laughs> well, I wouldn't even be saying this if you hadn't said that first. Well, I didn't say that first. You said this first. And, well, no, I didn't say that first. That's what he's talking about here. That that type of attitude is destructive. And, and boy, any shade of that in our hearts, we need to deal with. We just need to, we just need to deal with. Here's what you need to deal with it. Do you, know, do you know what we need? We need a revelation of God's heart. We need God to reveal his heart to us for people. We need God to reveal to us that we really don't know what that person needs. He knows. I need to listen and listen to him. And, and maybe what they need is just to have me bless them by listening to them. Sometimes that's it. And if there's something more than that, you know, God's going to give that to me. But, but we need a revelation of his heart. One of the very first experiences we had in, uh, in any type of a charismatic meeting was in Kansas City in 1994. Lori and I were there 2000 people in this auditorium uh, we took the furthest back seats we could because this we hadn't been to a meeting like this ever before up until this point in time I have been pastoring in a cessationist non-holy spirit church and so now we're here checking this out and the whole place is just exploding with life people falling out of their chairs other whole sections just jumping up and down and cheering for no good reason well, I mean, Jesus, that's a good reason, but I mean, no one was playing music or anything. It was just, they're just cheering, you know, they're just happy and excited, and, um, and and their body's laying everywhere, because the Holy Spirit is just hitting people, and they just can't stand up anymore, and that happens sometimes when the Holy Spirit comes on a person, their knees get weak, and they just, they can't stand, but... My eyes fell on one man in particular who was tall, he was probably six foot two, six three. He had long shoulder length hair and he had a tambourine with streamers. And he was beating that tambourine and dancing in circles. And I thought, Jesus wouldn't do that. And At that point in time, my view of who Jesus was was somewhere between Clint Eastwood and Mr. Rogers. <laughs> I was pretty sure neither one of them would have done that. I know Clint wouldn't have. And so I'm judging this guy. Look at him making a show of himself like that. And God spoke to me and said, what's on his face? It was clear as day. That, that came into my mind. And I said, joy. And this, then this sentence came to me. What's in his heart? And the answer I gave was, I don't know. And God, at the conclusion of that, said, that's right. And you don't need to know because I know. I know. And he said, you've been willing to tolerate quiet uh, flesh, he put it that way, that's what I was thinking, this guy's just human, he's just acting out of his broken humanity. You've been willing to tolerate that for a lot of years to get close to me, you might have to tolerate some noisy flesh now to get close to me. So I said, okay, if that's the way it is, I'm in. He got up, walked down to the front, I met the pastor from Champaign, Happy Layman, right at that moment, and we ended up two weeks later moving to Champaign. But we need a revelation of God's heart so that we look at people and we don't look at them and think, oh, I know, I know that. I know that person. Therefore, I don't need to listen to them. Therefore, I don't need to honor them. And when we get God's heart about that, then so much of this will take care of itself. And we'll just walk in the love that Jesus has that he wants us to walk in. Well, the next thing that happens here is um, he says, focus, focus on this now, Timothy. He says, Timothy, you be diligent, verse verse 15, diligence. You know what diligence is? It's doing the right thing at the right time with enthusiasm, whether you feel like it or not. That's diligence. Doing the right thing at the right time with enthusiasm, whether you're tired or whether you're emotionally with it or not. And so he says, be diligent, Timothy, to do what? Well, to present yourself approved to God. Timothy, the goal is not for you to be approved before people. The goal is not for you to win an argument. The goal is not for you to compete with these false teachers to win the hearts of everybody in your church. The goal is for you to be approved to God. If you can keep your motives right, Timothy, you're going to make it through this and you're going to do okay. And I'm going to be able to use you to turn a lot of people around. But Timothy, if you get your motives wrong, if your motive Becomes something other than approved unto God, then that's going to mess the whole thing up and you're going to end up falling into the same thing that they're into. You're just, you're just trying to out-argue them, but you're thinking you're doing it in the name of Jesus, whereas they aren't. And so he says, Timothy, be approved unto God. That's what you need to do. And by accurately handling the word of truth... You know, the whole idea of the Bible... Sometimes we have the idea that the Bible is, our, what it is, it is called the sword of the spirit, but it's not our weapon to use with people. It, it's not that. It's, the Bible is intended to draw us into a relationship with God, to an experience with the living God. And as I experience him and experience the revelation of his heart in me, then I'm going to have something to give to other people because I'm going, to be, I'm going to have his heart of honor for others. I'm going to look at every person. And when I'm looking at someone and they're talking, and this will happen, and you're thinking, oh, man, I got I to go. I can't sit here and listen to them. What you tell yourself is this. This person is a child of God. And they are worth my time. Even if I'm late, they're worth my time right now. I can't cut this off. I've got to listen to them because I'm going to, they need to be honored. And if they don't yet know Jesus, all the more important, then you just tell yourself they're a creation of God. He loves them immensely. I need to understand them. And when we take that approach to relationship, then, then ministry flows out of our lives into the lives of other people so he tells timothy here timothy just just get get this right and so the application here would be what are my motives what are my motives you know what am i seeking am i seeking well you know that other person's arguing for falsehood so i better out argue them for truth that's that's what he's saying don't get involved in that timothy what he's saying is my motives need to be honor god honor god See other people through God's eyes. Love other people. You know, these false teachers, their main fallacy was based upon their cultural philosophy. And I'm going to show you that in a moment. But they gave in to the cultural mindset and developed a theological error based upon that that was the false theology they were teaching. But for you and for me, we can ask ourselves am I more interested in being approved unto God or being approved by my society and my culture? Because, boy, there are a lot of things happening today that, um, so so many things that would lead us to, to want to water down what the Bible says about truth. The whole sexuality issue today and all of the different um, identity issues and how a person identifies and what they identify as. Uh, if... If I feel like I need to soften what the Bible says just to accommodate that then I'm not really seeking to be approved to God. But I want to tell you this too. If I look at that and I think those are horrible wicked people then I am not honoring God either there. Because we have to have hearts that honor people. Yes. Creation of God, be misled, maybe maybe way off but a person that needs to know Jesus. And, and if I can't sit down with someone and talk to them uh, using this illustration about their sexual orientation, even though to me it's, it feels like something so so disjointed from, from reality, if I can't honor them by, by having an open heart to talk and listen and understand, then I'm not gonna have the ability to bless them with any influence of God's life. And so he's teaching Timothy here the right way to minister, the right way to serve, the right way to touch people's hearts. And, and it really comes down to the motive in my heart that, that I'm going to have the motive of just honoring God, loving people, honest conversations. I appreciate you. You're a human being. Oh, you're, you know Jesus. Well, I appreciate you as a brother or sister in Christ. Oh, we disagree over this. Well, that's okay. I want to understand, how did you come to believe what you believe? Tell me about your life. Tell me about your thinking on this. I want to understand. Because that's honoring people. Then you get to say what you think too, but you're not doing it to win an argument. So, what are my motives? And then finally, you come to this at the very end. And he, and he just says, avoid this. Just avoid it. And that is worldly and empty chatter. Okay? Worldly and empty chatter. It was worldly because the things they were teaching were based upon cultural belief systems that led them to the conclusion that there could be no resurrection of the dead. That was the big heresy, that there's, the resurrection already took place. And what they were, this was all based on Greek philosophy, Because the Greeks, best they could try to figure this whole life thing out without truth from God, without revelation from God, the Greek culture came to the conclusion that most of the sin that we do has to do with our bodies. It has to do with with our desires and our passions that are located in our, in our system, our physical system, and this body's gonna die, so the body's temporary, it's no good, it's sinful, it's inherently flawed, the body, flawed. It, 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 there's nothing you can do about it. The spirit is eternal, therefore the spirit is good. And so the body, if the body's really flawed and evil, why would God wanna raise it from the dead? You know, the goal is in Greek philosophy to get freed from your body so you can be a spirit that lives in a spirit realm, freed from the confines of the body. Now, you've heard that in the church, haven't you? I've heard people say that we are spirit beings temporarily trapped in a physical body. And that's not true. That's bad theology. God created a spirit, soul, and body. The body is part of who we are. And so Jesus was resurrected literally, physically from the grave. The same body that went into the grave came out of the grave, but it had been transformed into an eternal body. These bodies right now are not ready for the fullness of God's presence. That's why... People shake when the Holy Spirit reveals more of God's presence. That's why people fall down. That's why people bounce. That's why there are all sorts of different manifestations. People will get just feel heavy, or they'll feel hot, or they'll uh, just so many different manifestations that will happen because our bodies react to God's presence. And um, and and so they were saying, well, you know, the body is evil, and therefore, no resurrection but Jesus was resurrected and he says that we're going to be resurrected and we're going to be we're going to have resurrected bodies and be united with our soul our spirit and that that's we will live in an eternal state with an eternal body but when they said that there was no resurrection what they were saying was that the resurrection had already occurred at the moment of salvation they were saying when you got saved that was your resurrection that you became new internally and that's true But when you divorce that from the literal resurrection of the physical body, you step outside orthodoxy. And orthodoxy, think of it like this, the Apostles' Creed, okay? Apostles' Creed kind of provides channels within which we run theologically. Then you have all this stuff you've got to figure out in between. But they stepped outside orthodoxy, and it led to these two things. It led, one, to what's called asceticism, which means ascetics are people that beat themselves that would they, they would go off and live in caves and not never wash never uh not not eat well trying to bring their bodies into subjection or you'll see this sometimes on the news um both christians and muslims will do this in different parts of the world where they'll have a celebration where they beat themselves bloody until their backs are bloody or they'll hit the hit a stick on their head until there's blood's sp- People will be crucified. They'll have their body. People will literally be nailed to a cross. And it's all part of this flow of the body is evil and you've got to hammer it. You've got to put it down. And now that's one side. And and that creates all sorts of theological problems because it doesn't lead to godliness. And then on the other side, there there were groups that said, well, if the body doesn't matter, then live it up. Why fight it? Just give in. Give in to your desires. And, and that has nothing, what you're doing with your body has nothing to do with your soul, with your heart, with your spirit. Th- that was Greek philosophy. And that's what, that's what these teachers brought into the church. And, and so Paul, that's why Paul ends this whole thing by saying, let anyone who names the name of the Lord abstain from wickedness. He's saying, look, that you, what you do with your body does matter. It does count. And so Paul's uh, bringing this argument against, against this wrong theology. But as I looked at that, here's the direction my brain, went, my mind went as I was just thinking of an application. And that was this. That, that, that phrase, world, empty chatter, empty chatter, made me think of the tongue. And how do we use our tongues? Uh, what do I do with my tongue? Um, d- does, do, do I criticize other people? Do I gossip? Um, Do I complain? Do I just talk about stupid things? Please don't answer, Lori. I'm an extrovert. I don't know what I think until I say it. And then I can look at it and examine it and think, yeah, I don't think I really think that. Just erase that. It's hard to erase, though, once you say it. Um, it Just chatter. And... I was reading in James not long ago, and in James 3, James says, no one can control the tongue. And I thought, what's up with that? I mean, if I'm a new person, new creation, and I have the power of God, why can't I control my tongue? And this came to me. Jesus said, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks, And so the way God created us, he attached our tongues not to our brains, but to our hearts. And so my tongue reveals what's in my heart. And God designed it that way. Uh, A good friend of mine and I, 35 years ago or so, we had this joke between us, would say, hey, uh, I'm really sorry I said that. Please forgive me for that. It just slipped out of the abundance of my heart. (laughs) If I have a problem with my tongue, I don't have a problem with self-control. I have a problem with my heart. And Do I have a critical heart? Do, do I really value other people, things I've already talked about? Do I, do I have an honoring spirit? Uh, do, do, I, do I feel like it's my right to complain all the time about things that don't go the way I want them to? Because these are all wrong-headed thinking. Th- this is all wrong-headed thinking. And... and And what I need to do is just have a revelation of the heart of Jesus to my heart. And and if I if if I find that yeah, I've been critical and hey, listen to this. How do you talk to other drivers? (laughs) Now I've said this before, but Lori and I have an agreement, I won't talk to other drivers. She claims they can read my lips. (laughs) And I never say anything really horrible. It's normally like, dummy, or, come on, what were you thinking? Why can't you turn your turn signal on? L- listen, when no one else is listening, what comes out? Okay, that's a part of my heart. I confess to you, Jesus, come and take that. I want to be a patient driver. I want to be patient when I'm driving. But, but, but if, you know, I need a revelation of the heart of God to fill my heart with the love of Jesus so that I'm going to be honoring to other people, even if they don't know it. Even if it's another driver out there I'm never going to meet. I'm going to honor them because my heart is a heart of honor. And so when we look at this whole passage, there's a lot to, lot to look at and a lot to um, apply. But I think all of these have to do with how do we minister to other people? And what, and what type of heart do I really want to have before God and before others? so I'm gonna leave us with that and just Jesus we just we want your heart we pray Holy Spirit reveal to us the heart of Jesus reveal to us more and more the heart of Jesus speak to us get our attention Lord If it, you know, the, those of us that know you we, we know you and you've given us new hearts we're gonna live out of those hearts Jesus so reveal more and if anybody here they don't know you yet You know, you you can come to know Jesus right now. You you just say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I need you in my heart. Come in, forgive me. Give me a new heart and he will come in. You just tell him that right where you are, just in your mind to say it. And he'll change you. Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we have a great worship set coming up and um, we're gonna receive the offering right now. Though, If if you're on the left, reach over there, and grab a basket, pass it down the aisle and um, yeah you know this time to worship is a time just to say here I am Lord here I am here's my heart God I open my heart to you I, I, and focus on him someone came up to me in between services and said they've been coming here for the last few weeks and noticed that we sing to God we, we don't just sing words about ourselves but we sing to God and that's, that's what we do and so when we do that, it blesses his heart, he reveals his presence, and it's a wonderful thing. So just open your heart up to receive healing today during this worship time. Come on down front and worship if you've never had before, okay? You can let, let a dozen people come so you're not the first one, then sneak on down here and uh, jump up and down a little. That'll do your heart good. That'll free you. just to allow your heart to bleed into ours To so pour your heart into us give us your eyes to see people give us your words to bless people fill us with your love Micah, one of our staff members here who leads our prophetic ministry, shared with me that that he he had a sense that God wants to minister to people who have experienced rejection or or you feel rejected, um, you feel forgotten or overlooked. And, And I want to do that right now, and then you can also come up for prayer for that later. But if that's you, if there's a sense in your heart that you feel like you've been rejected or forgotten... We're overlooked. Uh, The Lord just wants to pour healing into your heart. He wants to heal that hurt place. He wants to fill you with His love and, and just make you a bold person for Him. You don't have to hang back feeling like, no, I'm rejected. And so, Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence here right now. We thank you for your presence. Thank you more. We ask for more of your presence to come. And if that applies to you, just tell them, That's me, Lord, right now. Just whisper it. That's me, Lord. That's me. I, I, I feel rejected. That's me. I, I feel like I've been overlooked, forgotten. Lord, you hear, and you see, and you know. We welcome you, and we invite you to come now and to touch every heart here, every life here that has just expressed to you that, that they admit that there's some sense of feeling rejected or lost or abandoned, forgotten, bring your love, pour your love in, show them how they don't have to just bring them out of that sense of rejection, and bring them, and put their feet on a solid ground, let them walk, and just in the beauty and the glory of your love for them, your healing, Lord, in Jesus' name. sad story worship that um, there's someone here with throat cancer or you suspect that or you've just had a diagnosis I don't know what which but um, if that's true if that's you Lord wants to heal that so come down and get prayer for that today okay Um, freedom uh, to honor others if you feel bound in your heart you know by a critical spirit or something like that you can be free of that you can be free of that just come down and tell them i want to be free to honor others and they'll know what to pray for you for okay any any other healing issues you need just come on down okay all right good day mothers we love you we honor you make sure you pick up your gift on the way out and uh, father god blessings we bless your name And may every person here walk in your presence this week. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.